0: Oh, hello. Hey. Hey, hello. what's up? Hey, what's up, man? It's me, Roger. And hey, I'm Mr. Probably- Roger Hey, what's up, Franco?
1: Good, good, good to finally get you on here. Like, yeah, but we it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been following your uh, post for a little bit, and it's you know it's kind of honored to be on your show. I've been invited to a couple of shows this week, and I'm just recovering from you know losing my YouTube channel earlier this year over like, you know, two and a half years worth of videos.
1: Yeah, that's, that's probably why I wanted to get you on here, honestly, because, you know, you had a successful YouTube channel and I've known a lot of like different people, different channels, different celebrities have had their pages demotinized, their videos shadow banned, just all sorts of things. I think it just speaks to just kind of how the corporate, you know, stranglehold of independent media is starting to escalate more and more as time goes by. So, you said you had two and a half years worth of videos on there, right?
0: Uh, Well, yeah, I had two and a half years worth of YouTube videos, and I was there for, like, and I had about, like, 50 little stuff, and, you know, I kept having to change my name from Ranting Ravens to Hugan Jones just to, like, you know, kind of, you know, like, go against the system, and then finally, you know, they kept, uh, like, you know, like, uh, you know, they found who I was, and, you know, they finally recognized me, and they found my IP or something, and they just shut it all down, and... It was just really upsetting because I never really invested in BitChute or all these other alternative channels because because I didn't really think it was worth the time and the viewership for the amount of effort you would get. You didn't really see an ROI, but now it's like I kind of have to go on kind of alternative platforms. And I only think Bitshoot is only going to take over once it starts having streaming.
1: No, absolutely. And so that's that's something that, you know, a lot of content creators like yourself. You know, for for the people that are listening that don't quite know who you are, I'll just give you a quick rundown and then you can add in whatever you need to. You're a content creator, um, who posts on topics that you feel the world ne- needs to know. Sometimes they can be controversial, sometimes they're just what people have wanted to say all along. Um and they can kind of fill in a little bit and just kind of uh, actually
0: if you know who I am, I'm actually more than just that. I'm actually um, of course, uh, you know, you know, I'm actually the student who actually exposed a bike lock professor from Diablo Valley College. And you know, I sent some video to the red elephant. Yeah, you know, a bike lock professor,
1: he, yes, uh, for the people that don't know, the bike, hey, lock Eric country, somebody who dressed up, yeah, Eric Clanton, he dressed up as a Antifa member and cracked in the back. Yeah, I him. had him as a substitute professor.
0: I went to Diablo Valley College. You can. You know you can like uh, like i can look look you up it's actually got ready that's my real name i have to change my name on you on youtube and facebook because they keep having my name down after that whole exposing the bike lock professor they kind of just like they, i also like i also sent a video f- to red elephants about albert Ponce and then you know the guy wasn't really a marxist he was like a post-colonialist leftist which is just anti-white and then so red elephants went online and then said film your marxist professor
1: Yes, uh, and I remember that series coming out a couple of years ago, where you had these professors basically indoctrinating their students um, with regards to sort of their postmodernist, you know, theories, to put it charitably. Um, and it was—it's become something that had a ruinous effect on the next generation, as we can see. You know, people like you and I, we would raise an eyebrow, or we would at least, you know, try to expose them or do something to them, even with retaliation coming down the line, but was a lot of younger people especially nowadays and we're seeing it literally in the streets they aren't as skeptical as we were and they bought into it hook line and sinker they bought into this post garbage you know
0: well but <laughs> <laughs> well, i've been seeing this one weird alliance and i and i hate and, and like you know red elephants you know probably doesn't understand what marxism is a lot of what we call cultural marxism <laughs> is um, is actually just wait, wait hold on one second yeah yeah Okay. Fine. Okay. Oh no, no, no. No, I'm sorry. My dog just came in. But uh, what I was saying is that a lot of what we call, uh, you know, uh, what we call like cultural Marxism is really just cultural capitalism. It's just capitalism, and it's kind of its late stages. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, and that's something that I've come to recognize more and more. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I used to be vehemently anti-communist, vehemently anti-leftist, so on and so forth. But now I've come to realize that, you know, even if you disagree with everything else Marx had said in his uh, work that Capital, or what Lenin would have said or Strong would have said, um, what you would end up with is that his critiques of capitalism were very spot-on, were very solid, and were very you know well you know ironically still applicable to this day what we see again as you said with a lot of cultural marxism what we call term that it's a it's a false front it's a mask for cultural capitalism uh because you have you know oligarchs sponsoring the supposed you know um anti-capitalist uh, revolution when in reality all this is is just backing up of smaller businesses so that corporations can take over further it also ties into trotsky's theory of a permanent state of revolution, which is why Trotsky eventually left Russia because he was stabilizing the country, and it may also be why Stalin, you know, had to take care of him. And so when I look back at the older, the classical the classical Marxism, the classical communism, there's very in-depth and nuanced critique of capitalism, but we find with a lot of these, you know, Western leftists, they claim to be anti-capitalist, they claim to be all sorts of things, but if the reality is they're sponsored by the biggest oligarchs in the world. So I just find that an odd sense of hypocrisy, and I find it ironic that the the, the bourgeoisie, if you will, are the very ones claiming to be pro-working class. All the while, they don't give a flying shit about the working class. Sorry to curse, but it's true. Well, I also
0: saw something really weird about this. So you remember, like the the kind of the Trump election, right? Yes. Uh, So I remember, like, looking at the stats, and it was just so polarized. So I'll actually go read you some of the stats. So if you look at like the, uh, so at Trump's voting base, about 80, 63% are non-college white, 26% are college white, and then non-college non-white 7% and non-college non and college-educated non-white is 4%. So you have a 89% ethnic European base upon him, and then with Hillary Clinton, it's about like you know a little bit over like 56. And you, and you start
1: have to wonder how many people didn't vote.
0: What?
1: And then you have to wonder how many people didn't vote or sat out for the independent.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean like so what you saw is that kind of with the MAGA base, you kind of saw, you know, definitely a kind of, you know, what I call kind of like class consciousness and like a lot of the working class. And so, you know, and if you look at the Trump stats, you know, of the eighty nine percent being ethnic European, uh, they pay about like, you know, eighty five over eight uh, like you know, close to ninety percent of the taxes would have Few, you know, higher IQ POCs here and there, but not a lot uh, because, you know, a lot of these Chinese oligarchs, you know, they have their money stashed away and they take it abroad. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, So you saw this class warfare and the weirdest thing is that none of them actually did it. And I was starting to realize that a lot of these publishers, like Time Warner, which sells kind of the V for Vendetta mask, but I noticed that a lot of these big companies also, you know, they donate to a lot of these nonprofits that are into what I call this post-colonial anti-white left. Which is really not about class. It's really about like it's really this weird class warfare where the top, which is like these super elite bourgeois, and you know, and these you know the upper class white leftists, and they're working with these kind of these globalist elites. Some uh, you know, t- uh, and they're working with other cosmopolitan liberals in kind of the upper class with these billionaires, and then they're working with the parasite class, which is like, you know, kind of a welfare class. Which I was reading that like something like illegals take like eight times or nine times more than what they contribute. Like it was some ridiculous amount. I'm actually quite underestimating it, but in terms of billions. And and they're trying to take over the productive class that actually pays the taxes, the middle class and the working class.
1: Absolutely. And I, I it is very interesting that you that you point that out because it just ties into what ironically what the oligarchs want. You know, people that claim to want open borders are either very naive or very cunning. Because they know exactly what it will lead to. It will lead to the erosion of the working base of this country. Um, and it will lead to the, you know, ironically, for people that claim to care about the working class, that would eat, destroy the working class completely. Now, why would they do that? You know, you would think that a solid working class would benefit them. In reality, it wouldn't, because those same oligarchs are the same people who outsource good middle-class jobs from America to China, to India, to Central America, to, you know, Southeast Asia, to all these different countries. And they're also importing a lot of the illegal labor from Central America, South America, so on and so forth. Now, why is that? Because they can pay them significantly less, treat them worse, and you know, if any of them complain, they can just throw them out and that, or get them deported or whatever, and then just hire a flood of new uh, illegal labor. So what we've ended up is this, like you said, this this sort of welfare class, if you will, which a lot of illegals are now, like, you know, pulling on, the, yanking on the system. And they're all being directed by the the oligarch class, who are, you know, literally trying to bring in cheap labor so they can exploit the, the the working class of this country. Uh,
0: well, even kind of worse is that I've noticed that a lot of these Latin Americans, and I've talked to a lot of them, a lot of them would really want to go back. Have you heard of NAFTA?
1: Uh, yes, the Bill Clinton trade deal in the '90s, where uh, it just made this open free trade between Canada, United States, and Mexico. Supposedly yeah. it damaged Mexico's economy in the nineties.
0: Well actually, yeah. So what happened is that if there was like uh Mexican corn uh producers would sell it at around like kind of like, you know, these uh at kind of like, you know, five dollars a pound, they would just dump corn. There'd be even worse than a Walmart. They'd dump it like a monopoly at two dollars a pound. And then, you know, then they'd put all these Mexicans out of business, like two million of them, maybe two, three million of them. Um, you know, uh, and it's around there because they even underestimate those stats, and then that causes ripple effects because all the bars, restaurants, theaters, and those farm towns also go away. And and then once those people are, are you know, you put all them out of business, you make it twenty dollars a pound. So like one out of like five out of people in Mexico are actually very malnourished.
1: Yes, absolutely. And then, you know, I can't help it. With- and and then they also,
0: and then they also like you know, start to run to America through the fields, through like you know, the coyotes and kind of the cartels and then uh and they moved like you know a million like jobs from kind of like the, the steel industry and the auto industry so then you have one million jobs going down there you know only one third of those people are actually able to get jobs and then now they have to get like you know half the wages they once had
1: absolutely it's destabilization it's like literally economic destabilization of that country because as you've said uh they manipulated the prices artificially with regards to the to the corn they've sent down jobs at lower wages down there, from America to Mexico, and at the same time they pulled in a large chunk of the working, the, the, the pool of working class from Mexico into America to, to exploit them. That, that's what nobody talks about, is the fact that these people from these other countries are getting lured here and exploited for, for, for slave wages, for, you know, for, for economic slavery, because that, that, that's what it literally becomes, you know?
0: Well, I'm saying that I was saying that I was talking to a lot of these Mexicans and, you know, a lot of these Honduras and these Nicaraguans and I was asking, you know, why do you put up all of these flags, your foreign country's flags? And it's like a lot of them do have nostalgia for going home. So a lot of them are driven here, and you know how I said that the steel jobs and the auto jobs went there? Oh yeah. There wasn't enough steel and auto jobs that got shipped off overseas to actually fund those people. So then now they're working at half the wages. A lot of them are running up here, and then it's like so it's like a lot of these these trade deals are letting international capital and finance and wall street, like, you know, wreak havoc on some of these countries.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, uh, there's a, a glut almost of like foreign investment in a more And like these oligarchs are destabilizing these countries. And then they're just moving these people around as basically cheap labor. You see that fairly often in, uh, in Europe as well, when you're bringing in people from the Middle East, people from North Africa into Europe, and you just, it's where you're just exploiting them as cheap labor, you know?
0: Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I was saying that you know a lot of people are talking about like you know this kind of this diversity and all of these problems as though it's permanent. But I'm saying if they invested as much uh money as they did in trying to get these people here as well as trying to repatriate them, you know, Enoch Powell, right?
1: Yeah. I'm very famous for the rivers of blood speech by basically saying let each country develop instead of trying to drag everybody into one small country.
0: Yeah, yeah. you've seen some of my posts on it. Uh, you know, I was saying how, you know, how a lot of capitalism does drive these. I'm saying that like, we could even start like, you know, start, you know, repatriation plans to peacefully. I have a black friend who was, you know, and also a teacher. I remember back in high school. Uh, who was very much into, you know, he had the African flag and he was very much into it and going back. And then he died of a stroke and unfortunately he started an organization, but he didn't get to actually do it. But I've talked to a lot of them, uh, like Kobe and other people and a lot of Hey, what's up, Franco? Oh, yeah, we're back. Uh, so just yeah. start over.
1: Sure, start right back where you were at. You were mentioning your old teacher who was very pro repatriation for people of African descent, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a teacher who was like that, uh, he was really into it, and he was, you know, he probably said he died, but I know a lot of people who've been there and have kind of gone there because their ideology is more closer to this post-colonial ideology over there. And it's a lot less oppressive because they're kind of at the head of the hierarchy.
1: Right. So So that would be something interesting that if, let's say, these oligarchs were to be stopped somehow, uh, then people would be able to go with where they most feel comfortable, where the African descended peoples to Africa or the Latinos to their respective countries, you know? Things like well, that.
0: well, it would work well because, like, Gambia, Ghana, and a lot of these countries have actually kind of been uh, – been actually been very much promoting it. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, yeah, so I, uh, I know Ghana is uh, giving uh, dual citizenship to – African Americans. um I think you have to have uh, some quotas or certifications or something to get it, but it's at least an opportunity. You know, if someone's someone able to do it, it would be something worthwhile for them.
0: Well, also, like I think, like you know, Acon the singer.
1: Yes, the uh, Akon has
0: an eighty million dollar net worth, and you know, and he's actually been kind of been promoting it a lot. He's been like, you know, saying that you know that you know that like you know he kind of didn't say it openly, but he was saying that you know kind of. America wasn't really the best place for the kind of Black people who don't really feel or they feel some sort of status problem. Because I noticed that, you know, a lot of the history kind of makes them icky, but it's like, you know, he was talking about how they would kind of be at the better of a higher hierarchy with their skills and education over there than over in the United States. And they would, you know, basically become millionaires over there. And, you know, and I think that, you know, and I think a lot of this also, you know, I know a guy named Molly Morris from London who's been there. It's been a weird thing of Black Caribbean Brits and just Black Brits in general going to Africa and, you know, becoming at the top of a hierarchy and helping prove it. And I think kind of like I don't know if I can talk about Mosley. Uh,
1: You could. We can always bring him up.
0: Uh, Well, you know, I mean, uh, well, he and a lot of other people, I think, you know, uh, and a lot of other like leaders in the nationalist realm, they talked about having a sphere of influence. So we could you know help with the voluntary repatriation of people and even start developing these countries so that they can have a higher wage because I know a lot of it is because of lack of development and you know they have a lot of high child mortality and they need that labor. Some of it's also because of foreign aid and destruction of their industry that causes it but it's different from different countries.
1: I'd say that's a lot chunk it I think a lot of destruction of their you know thanks to the foreign industry uh, the foreign aid has destroyed them of their industry. And it's this almost permanent sense of being held down, you know, and people don't really want to admit that, but it's absolutely true, you know, that a lot of these, it's now gone from instead of colonialism, it's now just turned into a corporatocracy where you have these huge juggernaut corporations like Bill Gates from Microsoft with these people, you know, nobody wants to talk about it.
0: Uh yeah yeah, yeah, and I think that a lot of the times it's just like whenever these countries do want to develop, especially like kind of in the north African Arab countries, there's a lot of like weird destabilization by not just finance but these megacorps that also drive people
1: to the west absolutely it's this it's this odd thing where and in a way, part of it is like what would have happened anyway to a degree but it feels like an acceleration now you have a huge brain drain from you know african countries especially the western african countries coming into the west and things like that and you know basically taking out the brain power from those countries and putting it in the west you know not only are you destabilizing the the african countries by doing that you're also um upending the, the working base of the country that those africans end up in And so it's one of those things that becomes a double-edged sword and in the end the only people that really benefit are you know maybe they get a little bit a couple of extra dollars um coming here than they would over there but they're they're disconnected from their culture they're you know they don't feel welcome here for one reason or another and the only people that really benefit from it are the oligarchs the corporations the big people that are keeping their boot on everybody's neck
0: Well, one of the programs I've talked about, you know, because I'm a demographer who talks about solutions to the demographic problem and how to get it back to 65, like, you know, my friend Kobe was saying that, you know, if all these African-Americans, you know, and he was big into BLM and he was kind of there. uh, He was more of just kind of an acquaintance. It was interesting to talk about him with the repatriation. He said if 50% of them, you know, uh, you know, had actually seen it, you know, at least like, you know, 25% would leave within the first five, six years and then another, 25% within the next 10 years, and then maybe within, like, you know, the next 20, 30 years, he said another, like, by the end of it, 75% would leave, especially a lot of the more left, like, like a lot of the more radical anti-American ones. And I'm
1: seeing that. (laughs) What? It would be the perfect solution for them. If, you know, if, uh, to paraphrase what Marcus Garvey had said all those years ago, if there is any man of African descent who does not feel welcome in, in America... He may go back to Africa. He may go back to his motherland, you know. And Marcus Garvey said that all those years ago, and he was absolutely right, you know. And I think it was the oligarchs who stopped Garvey from the repatriation program that he wanted because they wanted to use the blacks as cheap labor.
0: Well, actually, Marcus Garvey also said that there was like uh, some uh, mail fraud set up, and uh, there's actually a lot of like, uh, uh, like I don't know. He, apparently, he blamed Jewish people, but he also blamed like the richer people within the within the kind of the Southern Confederacy. And, you know, and there was a lot of like moves to prevent the Back to Africa movement because of cheap labor and kind of having that divided. I know Ford used to use them as strike
1: breakers. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, people always claim the Confederacy was all about slavery. Um, it's about the same as we have now. It's the, the oligarchs, the 1%, 2% especially, who are, you know, keeping. Their foot on the neck of everybody else because they want to use certain groups to cheap labor, whether they be poor, white, black, illegal um, laborers in this case. Uh, and it's, you know, people tend to think it's racial, and maybe to some small degree it is, and maybe, you know, racial intent that everybody wants to be with people that look like them. But the majority of it is economic, and we're only starting to still feel that mask back, if you will, now. But, you know, we never really. Did that before at least not to this degree
0: and marcus garvey i think also implied that there was actually a stake at preventing a return movement
1: oh no i i i wouldn't doubt that at all i i if i remember correctly i think the naacp was fervently opposed to uh a repatriation program. Why I'm not too sure, but if I had to guess, I think it was sponsored by the same oligarchs, the same people that had invested well, well interest the
0: P was like funded by like kind of like the cosmopolitan business establishment.
1: Oh yeah, a lot of Jewish uh, investments, a lot of cosmopolitan investments, you know, these sort of mucky mucks, if you will. Yeah, there was a lot of investment in there. And to a degree it still is, you know? And think about it, the NAACP has been in business for decades and well, I've I, I also kind of work, realized
0: right? that a lot of the black community are very gypsy-like. They move around for welfare, or they move around for urban culture, or they're very like they're a lot more like you know move moving and uh, mobile in terms of their kind of their nomadicism than a lot of these white southerners who'll be in the same village for two hundred years.
1: Right, and that you could even base that off of uh, off of culture itself. There is a more hunter-gatherer nomadic vibe coming from certain parts of Africa, especially the parts where. the the slaves were sold to the the Jewish merchants who ran the slaveship, the Arab merchants who ran the slaveship. Whereas, as you said, the the Southerners will stay in one village for 200 years. Why? That's a direct lesson to the the, the Scots-Irish heritage, where, yes, you would stay in your clan in your village for 200 years or more if you had if you could. Uh,
0: Well, yeah, yeah. I've also realized that, you know, like, so there's like a... So I'm saying that the idea of repatriation, I don't know if you know about Laura Towler, but she was with, like, Mark Collett, and they were kind of like, you know, kind of putting the idea, but I think that there's a very big thing in capitalism, not just to drive people to the West by, uh, you know, by like, you know, war or international finance, but also a lot of things is that I know a lot of people that come to the West are because of, are because of, you know, um, what do you call it? They get baited into coming to the West
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and, you know, and then after they get baited into coming into the West. Uh, they start getting into the debt slave, and then now they can't come back.
1: Yeah, that's the it's the uh, it's the whole nonsense about the cheap labor with gold. That's how they got immigrants against the to America for, for cheap labor. You're Irish, you're Italian, people like that. Um, and yeah, I, I I haven't read Fowler's work, but I would I you could send me some. I'd love to read it and talk about it uh, because that sounds very interesting. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, where you you know. People from poorer countries, the countries that would be stabilized, get lowered to America, whether by their own people or by the oligarchs. And then, like you said, they're in debt slavery, and then they can't go back because it's just a costly cycle of paying off the debt to get to uh, America.
0: Well, I mean, so, you know, like the higher IQ and the lower IQ and kind of the more, you know, high trust and low trust, uh, kind of the higher IQ groups will always kind of have to subsidize the lower IQ and pay the cost of domestication. Uh, uh you know in a capitalist system and it, it you know it divides people and you know and you know it's like people can't like you know if people are around people with a similar ability or the similar society it's easier then for them to progress and not be out competed. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah absolutely and I think in a way it's there's this sense of exploitation with you know like you said with the higher IQs dominating the lower IQs and that, that yeah, on some it's one of those things where I say on some level that is true to a small degree, but there was always a chance for you to, to rise up in a way, whereas nowadays, not so much, you know? And like you said, societies where people are similar to each other are going to be a bit more successful in their eyes than anything else, than uh, a mishmash of different cultures, different activities, different peoples, different things. This sort of false multiculturalism, where everybody is just thrown in the same pot, without regard to how the is going to turn out.
0: I was also looking at like you know, and I talk about repatriation because I think it's something that you know, that like you know, I think, uh, and I'll talk about capitalism and its relation to it too. But I was talking about it because it's very, it's not very unreasonable because I know a lot of people who are like Pakistanis who are like second generation, third generation in Britain and America. I think there's one called Amir Khan, and they still have entire assets and interconnected family networks and cultural groups and activist groups in their countries overseas, despite their parents or grandparents, you know what I mean? They're never losing that touch.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and also like, you know, I've heard something that second gen- generations are even more crime prone than the first generation that comes in.
1: I've, I've heard that as well, or they're at least significantly more radical than, you know, like the first generation will come, and they'll appreciate it. Second generation, not so much. Third generation, second or third generation is going to become, like you said, more crime prone or very, very more like radical, more hardline than the others.
0: Well, also, like, you know, I, I, when I was in when I visited Mexico City, there's actually a big Mexican-American community, I think, since 2014, just because the cost of Costa California and a lot of these border states, uh, you know, a lot of Hispanics have actually, you know, there's been a net flow of like four or five million or something like that going back to Mexico. So now Mexicans are not even the, the you know the highest amount of undocumented people. It's a bunch of others all added up together. And, uh,
1: and I'm you, saying, see headlines about that. But
0: go ahead. Oh uh, no, no, I'm just saying that a way we could start doing this is, you know, I, I was talking about a sphere of influence, which a lot of you know European nationalists, third positionists, and even socialists were talking about. So where you know we could start, you know, guaranteeing people like you know uh money abroad and we could start like you know guaranteeing them work with repatriation cash and with some sort of like training and we could start like you know networking with these governments the zionist movement was able to get people after you know after over like you know a thousand years of being apart uh you know i think we could do it in a very much shorter in a very shorter time length if we network it i think the key is not to agitate our kind of our relations
1: I agree, and I think that would be a great thing to, to, to push for, if you will. I think it'd be the way to kind of go forward, because, like you said, if the Zionists could do it, you know, regardless of your thoughts on Zionist or Zionism, um, positive or negative, I think it's a good it, it's a model to follow, especially if you if there are a lot of people, like because you've mentioned all the Latinos, you mentioned the Pakistanis, things like that. They still have family, they still have connections in their, their homelands. Uh, So why not just, you know, again, make arrangements with different governments, you know, with basically having them go back, you know, if they so desire to.
0: Well, I mean, I'm saying if we invested, like also another thing that would also get people out is also like, you know, in a very peaceful way is that, you know, how democracy and liberalism kind of attracts immigrants and liberals kind of like how like, you know, meat attracts flies. Uh, like you know how like you know when you put meat outside, a bunch of flies come in uh if you look at countries like you know like like East Germany, or if you look at kind of like you know or countries such as like you know Italy when it was under that rule, or countries like Saudi Arabia when it became more monarchical, or countries like you know Iran when it transitioned from a democracy to more of a dictator to a non democracy or countries like Pinochet's Chile. I've noticed that whenever countries lose their democratic status or give up democracy, you start seeing like, like the radical anti-factions that hate the country, you'll start seeing like 10, 15, 20, 30% leaving. In Germany, there was a lot that left. And I think that a lot of people, because, you know, if we put votes, it says voting is only for net contributors, or, you know, you either have to do, you know, abstint in the military, or, you know, or police to vote, or a second vote for, you know, like in my system, you know, you could probably get a second one if you do infrastructure for two to five years. And then you do a third one if you own private property and a fourth one if you kind of married with children. You know, that would really make voting really hard and it would like, you know, give you multiple votes. Or we can just restrict it to net contributors or people married with children or active duty military.
1: No, like sort of a scourge troopers model, which I, I would absolutely agree with. And it's something that I've seen over more than once. And it's something that quite frankly enough to be implemented here. I don't know if it could get implemented here, but part of why I look to East Germany, like you said, when you know, countries lose their non democratic status, sort sure, of a chunk of the people that find the country that leave and just woof get out of there. But the remaining people tend to become successful, they tend to thrive, they tend to, you know, hold the country together at least until, you know, one foreign agency or another shows up and destabilizes it.
0: Well, I think I was reading about Starship Trooper. I read the book a couple of years ago, and I kind of like read the I read kind of the what you might call it, and also saw the movie. I think the movie weirdly enough has a very similar context with mass migration and you know and like you know democracy and how the social scientists sort of collapsed it. I think that's around something around it. It basically talked about all these problems of democracy. A Starship Trooper society where it's a polity would actually start to slowly actually would actually, you know, undo diversity back 20, 30 years.
1: Yeah. Which would and be I, fun because what, what what you'd end up with is most people, like let's say, you know, you offer repatriation to every other, you know, uh, ethnic minority in this country. Like you said, you'd probably like you're a uh, Friends Kobe, right? right. Friends in Kobe would say it would be like twenty five percent leaving and then next couple years another twenty five percent leaving and then next couple years another twenty five percent leaving. And then probably let's say you'd have that for all the All the other athletes um and then the few who would be left would be the ones that are like die-hard loyal to this country you know yeah yeah yeah, the ones that are just like you know die-hard loyal to this country they don't want anything to do with the other country
0: well yeah yeah i predicted that uh you know i predicted that the best way to kind of do it you know i've written like you've seen some of my manifesto posts on the internet on how we can kind of do it i think we need definitely need to put like a human tribunal on white genocide and kind of, you know, declare it as a form of genocide. And, uh, you know, one of my plans was to Marshall Plan, Eastern and Western Europe to help them recovery with their birth rates. And, you know, slowly start to get China away because they're also benefiting from the replacement. We could, you know, offer Russia to build like, you know, a pipeline uh, if they decide to, you know, sanction China or join us and, you know, peace in Ukraine. Yeah, I think
1: that would be something worthwhile because I think, you, if any, want to talk about white genocide. You know, the only ones that are really doing it are the significantly alternative media, the fringe groups, and things like that. The tendency to do this sense of constant despair. But I enjoy the fact that you're actually talking about possible solutions to try to rectify this, this situation, because it is a dangerous situation, you know, not just for you know, people in at risk of it, but for everybody else, you know? I've learned that, you know, the more you harm a specific people's, and nothing happens that's when it will have a ripple effect to the other to the other races you know in an odd sort of way i've seen black in the coal mine for years with regards to social engineering in america and now that same social engineering is spreading to the, the white community you know and well something- also,
0: also also the modern international neoliberals they not only destroyed the the demographics of Western countries are also messing over with the demographics of the Middle East and Africa and Latin America. Yes. And they're also displacing people there, and then they're moving populations where they shouldn't be.
1: Exactly. They're, mas- they're mashing tribes together, if you will, you know, being there ends up being tribal war and people turn around and say, "Oh, that's how those countries have always been." No, you took. you made it that way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, actually, well actually you know, you know Turkey, right? Turkey, the Turkish people are actually in risk of being replaced by migrants themselves.
1: Wow. I genuinely did not know that.
0: Or or they're in, like, do you know how many like Kurds and other people are going into Turkey because of all of these like crazy international finance, not just the wars, but also their financial schemes? It's like millions, it's like tens of millions.
1: Yeah, I know they've I know the Turks have had Kurdish trouble for years. Um I didn't realize it was that, you know, that neck deep. Because if there's a whole flood of like refugees and things like that coming in, because one thing I don't know if many people know about this, about Turkey, a lot of the refugees coming into Europe from the Middle East have used Turkey as basically a way to get in, you know, and some would argue that Erdogan and his administration are the ones pushing the refugees into Europe so can destabilize Europe, but you know, it's a story for a different day.
0: Well, yeah, well, not only that, it's also, I think there's a part of Turkey that's extremely Arab and the southern part and that's extremely Kurdish. Right and they're kind of have their own like kind of autonomous kind of control and they don't really want to kind of, you know, like cave into him. And then, you know, they're kind of like, you know, they're ma- they're worse than our sanctuary states. They're like 10 times worse. Wow. Oh uh, maybe not 10 times, but they're worse than our sanctuary states in the way that they actually just open the doors. Wow.
1: Yeah, is that crazy? That is crazy. Wow, I didn't even realize
0: that. Well, I heard somebody from Turkey or they somehow smuggled because Turkey's like kind of a weird place. Uh, But I'm just saying that it's like, you know, you've read some of my manifesto, right?
1: Yes, I think so. Uh,
0: I mean, I'm saying that the way we would start selling this is that, you know, we can say that, you know, 89%. uh, Well, one of the ways we have to sell it is first kind of acknowledge that democracy and capitalism aren't really working out for us.
1: Exactly. And if anything, they cause more problems than they fix.
0: And the only person I've seen that's anti-capitalist from the right is like a Tucker Carlson.
1: Uh, yeah, so have, so have I for now. I've heard of a couple of, I, I know uh, there's a French writer named uh, Alain de Benariste, and he's uh, he was anti-capitalist for a good long time, and I believe he's somewhere on the right wing or the new right in, in France. Um, my views are, are evolving toward more of an anti-capitalist sense, and I'm sure you've seen that, and a lot of other people have seen that. And it scares people, but I always try to tell people like capitalism is a large part of why we are here in the first place. It's, it's part of why we have broken people, broken families. It's why we have the this exploitation of these people from these other countries, because we're luring them in with false promises and then keeping them in economic slavery. It's why we've outsourced middle class jobs to third world countries, you know. And
0: well, also another thing that would also, you know, kind of diversify the country. I remember this from Starship Trooper kind of thing, is to create a social contract and an access charter. So the Quebec values charter. In Quebec actually outlaws the burqa and hijab. And they have a lot of, you know, anti-multicultural kind of policies and they have a a society of, you know, exclusion, right? Right. So Quebec is still like 88% white French or, you know, 88% white. While, like, you know, other parts of Canada are getting very displaced. Uh, While Toronto is more friendly towards kind of migrants with a culture of multiculturalism. So, you know, the culture of liberalism and also, you know, like all this weirdness kind of coming in and, and you know, and I, and I think that, you know, there's definitely like, you know, some some way in like terms of invitation and the, and our attitudes towards these migrants when we give them fake status.
1: Yeah. And in a way, you're, you're also, and it's the thing where every, and I'm going to use Tudor as an example for, for Canada. In a way, everybody thought that was nice, tolerant, uh, et cetera, et cetera, very liberal, quote unquote, and friendly to, to migrants and stuff, and then come to find out, he was just as corrupt if not more so than the supposed exclusionary people, you know? Um he's all friendly and nice before you find out he's done a multitude of financial crimes, uh, dressed up in blackface and just a whole host of other things, you know? Well
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean like you're definitely liberal at least. Like I used to work at a bar with a bunch of them. A lot of them, you know, don't really like these POCs that they're doing. Uh, they know they're just doing doing it to kind of get ahead.
1: Yeah, and that's part of the problem with our society where you are you know, you're hypocritical, you're, you're, you know, and I think on some level the POCs can kind of sense it, at least the smart ones. Um, but it's very interesting to kind of see this sense of people just... Well,
0: know, the reason that so POCs don't really vote traditionalism and the 89% of the MAGA voters are of ethnic European descent is because stuff like the Constitution and stuff, and I know I'm a, an exception, but stuff like the Constitution and civic law and civic values and civic nationalism has an implicit identitarian basis to it, because it reflects the biosoul and the ideas of a people. Now, I want to go kind of say, oh, a big thing, like, you know, and you know, and that's what it does. Even though we have the Constitution, we don't have any way to do it, we should have like a mandatory pledge or allegiance to the body politic and the Constitution and, you know, start, you know, having mandatory integration laws, like, you know, the Ford Foundation, right? Or the Ford Sociological Foundation when migrants were first coming in, and this was before Global Homo hijacked it. Now it's like weird, but it used to like you know, and with the Woodrow Wilson and Theodore Roosevelt they used to do this too. They used to you know make inspect people's houses to make sure the furniture, cuisine were right, the kids were going to school, and people were having American flags and they were swearing allegiance. And you know they wouldn't allow like you know like if we allowed if we got rid of like halal, kosher slaughter, burqas, hijabs. And heavily taxed, like you know all of these you know how these foreigners have these foreign markets, yes, if we put a four hundred percent tariff on that, that itself, or just putting English as the official language that itself would get tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people to leave
1: absolutely, and i I you know despite my family being french i you know we completely agree with that. I'm a firm believer in assimilation to the country that you are in now you can, obviously you can you know your own language at home and things like that and you know keep some of your traditions to a degree at home but i would agree with that completely because you know and even you know the people from france who would come to america they would say well if france is so great i would have stayed in france you know uh, and I, I take that view to every other country you know if the other country is so great why you know why did i not know?
0: well none of them really want to actually be a part of america or france they want to create their own country in those countries
1: yeah, like and that, that's not gonna work. That's
0: not gonna work. It's yeah, crazy. and a lot of these Somalis, they're not really losing anything because they already live in Somalia and Minnesota.
1: When they I was, have their own ethnic enclave.
0: Yeah, when I was in like Minnesota, they had these Somali after-school cares where they were like teaching kids how to read and write Somali and speak Somali, and they were having all these Somali signs. I was walking down, I didn't even hear a word of English.
1: Yeah, it was just surrounded by. It. You, you see the same thing with uh, with, uh, with the uh, Spanish communities with. with um, different communities Chinatown. Walk da-
0: walk down, most of here in the Chinese, you in know? Chinese, Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I was actually reading about like Austria and actually uh, and how they banned the hijab and, or how they were trying to, you know, put fines on it. And, you know, and that itself got like, you know, like tens and thousands if not even more just to leave. Yeah. Like I'm saying that there's like easy ways we could do this. Uh, Latin America because I because a lot of these people aren't mentally capable of assimilating, you know, like a lot of these people, you know, they're just, if they have like a sub, like, you know, 68 IQ, like in Somalia, they will not be able to do it. They cannot even, they're not even qualified to clean latrines or, you know, work as a cashier. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do. I've, I've heard that theory before, where it's like, if you, if your IQ is down a 30 points, it's not going to work, you know?
0: As for, the, as for the elite migration, and I'm not going to let that go, because elite migration is just as dangerous, if not worse, than low IQ migration.
1: Probably worse at this point, because it's like, again, it's the brain drain from other countries, and you're just dumping it here, and you're destabilizing the countries that they can't from even further.
0: Well, elite migration, it's usually cosmopolitanism. So when people in like, and I've written this in my manifesto, when these Chinese and these people who are like, you know, kind of affiliated are buying up resources, landmines, property, and driving up to rent in Vancouver, and we have to use somewhat, you know, I know socialism has been a word and I don't really call it socialism. I call it nationalization. It's just simply a policy even we've done with Amtrak. Absolutely. And that's
1: something Uh, that needs to happen no matter who's
0: in power. Like we need to, like if these Chinese people, if they're like buying up resources and they're like driving up rent, we at that point, I think that there's a valid case for us to merge the state sector with that, like you know start nationalizing some of their property, putting strong price controls, and kind of ending the speculation and diversifying and uh, outlawing hedge funds and massive investments also you know other policies I've set to drive them out is you know tax foreign assets at fifty percent and money transfers and property, and also kind of like you know if they're owning monopolies of property, natural resources, and houses. We need to use the state sector to not only auction that off, but break it up and start even taking over that stuff. Because I think yeah,
1: Nash- I agree, completely. I agree completely that's because that's something that needs to happen. And you and I both know if, you know, any other country were, would be able to do that. You know, um, I'll give you China, for example. If a foreign company wants to invest in China, they have to partner up with a local Chinese firm and be taxed pretty heavily um, in order to do business in, in China. So the question then becomes why can't we have similar policies here, you
0: know? Well, also with Saudi Arabia, you have to like kind of like, you know, start, you have to invest in Saudi Arabia or you have to hire a certain amount of people who are Saudi Arabian even if you own a call center. And they don't have like, an open investment stock market because financialization of an economy is what kind of attracts a lot of these things Like we need to tax financialization and get away from speculation. Like the Commodities and Trading Act of Bill Clinton says that if you own a pig factory, you don't even need to have bacon or pigs. You can just invest and move around currency and start speculation.
1: Yeah, and that's that's heavily damaging to, to our country, to a large chunk of what our country was. Um, and I think that's something that few, if any, really talk about. And I'm really happy you and I are talking about it in the sake of our, of our country, you know? Have you? Had- so this is,
0: well, yeah, but I'm saying this also attracts a lot of Migrants too, and I'm saying, like, would you agree that a Starship Trooper society would kind of fix a lot of our demographics?
1: Yes, I think it would. I think it absolutely would. Also, also,
0: I've noticed that you know, like, you know, there is a weird thing of like Latin Americans whenever whenever times are not suiting up their case, like just with Trump, about a couple million just left. So if we were to sell these ideas. In a good way, we not only would have to get kind of the GOP kind of on it with like you know the Tuckers, because Tuckers made a lot of this easier, right?
1: Yeah, he's at least talked about it openly, and said a lot of people needed to hear. And I think the the, the good part about it is he's gone. At, it's not just the standard, you know, boilerplate talking points. He's gone after these speculators that have ruined American towns. He's gone after these these hedge fund these people. That are, have have ravaged our you know our economy. Long story short, and I think uh, credit to him. No matter what else Tucker says, he absolutely he knocked out of the park on
0: that. Well, yeah, yeah, and like Tucker, and also another thing about it is that uh you know if we tried to form an alliance with like you know get the GOP on board with repatriation and anti-capitalism and anti-democracy, we could also kind of get like these union uh, Democrats that voted MAGA and are kind of pissed off at the Democratic establishment they're what i call kind of the white proletariat and then we can get some of the new england those really white states which are you know those centrist democrats who believe in localist democracy but they're not SJWs. yes uh, yeah something like that yeah i think
1: i've heard of that before
0: yeah yeah i mean i'm saying definitely those new england the blue dogs and the centrist centrist localists could definitely be on board because they're also anti-mass migration and everything and that could be a coalition and and, and like, you know, and you know, I'm a demographer and you, uh, like, you know, we should talk about my manifesto, one of these podcasts, you know?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That's going to be, I'm definitely going to have you on again for sure. That's something we're definitely going to talk about more and more. Uh, and I, I, I'd love that.
0: I just want to kind of, kind of show you what my goal would be for America and Europe. So America, I would like it more of a super majority model, like the 85% of 60 of 1965, which, you know, in my manifesto, I showed on how to do it in 20 years. With a two percent increase each year. Right. Uh so in America, we're gonna have like more of a a 1.5 to 2% increase in the ethnic European population. Uh but in America, I say we should have a super majority model of around 85%. Just because we have native tribes and we have the overseas islands and we have some of that. Like you know what I mean? The occasional Michelle Malkins. But
1: here, yeah, uh, no, we would definitely have that for sure. But it's like like the like you mentioned, it would still be a large chunk of, you know, really founding stock. Um, but, but in Europe, it's it would be more different.
0: of a Japanese model where citizenship is only to the founding stock and maybe a couple of veterans like the Gurkhas in Britain. Right. What?
1: I said, I said, right, yeah, that'd be something that we could, that could be planned out for sure.
0: Like, do you understand why, you know, in America, I'd have a super majority model, like Nick saying we have a little bit more wiggle room in Europe?
1: Yeah, because America was has more ethnic diversity than, than Europe does.
0: Also, we have the Native Americans and we have like some of the Filipinos from like the colonies, but they weren't really a problem back in 65.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how we did have immigration to a degree in the, the 40s, 50s, and 60s, but there wasn't this sort of agitation that you saw in the late 60s, early 70s.
0: Yeah, and also there was like assimilation laws in the early 1900s where if you were anti-American... And you did not, like, you know, find a social contract, which was kind of similar to Shardship Trooper, like, they would kick you out.
1: Yeah. And even in the Ellis Island days, they had the authority to kick you out. Um, you had to have, like, a place to stay. You had to have a job lined up, all sorts of things, you know? This wasn't just using these immigrants to keep labor. It's like, would you to contribute to this country.
0: I've also seen so many organizations, I've seen, like, second generation and third generation packies, or you know people from arabia actually talking about going back it's really weird it's like when the parents come in and then suddenly their children visit the homeland their children even after second or third generation they want to go back
1: well let's give them let's give them what they wish for <laughs> <laughs> well i'm saying Might it's. As re- well
0: i'm saying it's really not like much they're going back to because they literally live in those societies here
1: yeah which is interesting you know but you know you know what i always Again, to paraphrase Garvey, if a man is not satisfied with the country that he currently lives in, with this country, he's more than welcome to go back to the country of his ancestors, you know? And I'm a firm believer in that. I would, you know, I would absolutely agree with that. I would say that- Well, know, I'm actually making
0: contact with ACON and members of Ghana Parliament for some of these processes. I think we need to definitely have some sort of tribunal on this white genocide and great replacement and start solving this, instead of like, you know, agitating our foreign relations, We need, like, an international resistance to globalism.
1: I agree. I agree. And I think too often we tend to see anything international or see plenty of others as, like, something wrong. But in reality, we're going to need allies from all sides. You know, we're going to need people that are against this this oligarchy, this globalist uh, cancer that is spread throughout the world, you know? It's not just damaging the West, you know, America and Europe, it's damaging uh, africa are damaging and are damaging all these countries because none of what's happening now is sustainable you know it's only going to just lead to further destabilization and i think that's what the oligarchs want. So they can just be the one percent sitting at the top and everybody else is just fighting crap
0: yeah 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 and i'm saying that you know getting off opec and kind of you know building an oil pipeline to the russian siberia would definitely be another way to you know really start making peace and then marshall plan I, i'd say america has the resources and the money if we had the right system, we could marshal plant the entire Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada to increase their fertility.
1: Absolutely. You know, and I would agree with that completely. I think that's something that needs to happen. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, so, yeah, yeah. So, is that all?
1: Yeah, that'll be all, man. It'll be. This is a great podcast. I'm really glad uh, I had you on, and I'll definitely have you on again for sure.
0: All right, all right, yeah, yeah for sure. Peace.
1: Cool man, thank you.